Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We've got Tom Brady talking about, well, I don't know, maybe it's a little like flag football, and he understands what those of us that sit back, relax, and watch football on Sundays see, and he don't like it either. Micah Parsons is doing what Micah Parsons does. Ah, he just complained, and I don't understand this either. I don't understand why Dak Prescott gets so much heat. I don't. I'm sorry. An NBA buyer beware. Buyer beware as networks. Eh, little lukewarm on NBA programming. Let's go. Don't at me starts right now. You know, you're sitting at home. You're minding your own business. You got a drink. You got a pizza. Maybe you got some buddies over and you're watching football. And you know what happens all of a sudden? You guys are watching football and you're like, wait a second. That guy ran out of bounds. This is what I do. That guy ran out of bounds. He could have got four, five, six more yards if he just turned it upfield. That guy in the middle of the field just dove straight down. Wait a second. That safety came up, and he kind of, sort of, maybe got in the way of Derrick Henry. These are called business decisions in the world of NFL football. What does that mean? That means Marvin Harrison, former great wide receiver, for the Indianapolis Colts, was basically able to play an injury-free career by diving down as soon as he saw tacklers coming. Smart move. Running backs going out of bounds. Now, that's a new thing. That didn't always happen. Running backs were always taught you get to the sideline, you turn it in. Well, here's the deal. Tom Brady doesn't really like it. Tom Brady didn't know it. You know, and I agree with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's sitting there saying, you know, you watch a game at home. And we got a lot of stuff going on, right? We got crowd noise. We got announcer noise. We got the game itself. On below, we got other games. Who's injured? What team am I betting on? What's the score of the Buccaneers game, even though I'm watching the Bears game? I mean, there's a ton that goes on. As a player, you're right there in the moment. You got to process all this stuff. It's akin to watching the World Series of Poker while we watch it on TV and we know what the other guy had. That's what Tom, but actually playing poker where you don't know what the other guy has. You have no idea. It's a little more difficult to play without knowing. It's a little more difficult to play football on the field without having three timeouts right there in front. You got to have it in your mind. Coaches have to have it without knowing exactly how far it is for a first down. You look over and you, okay, you, all right, it's third and four, three. I, okay, right. All those things Brady talked about, and he's right. And it's interesting. But the main point Brady was making, and this is going to be fascinating as we move forward with football. The main point with Brady is, is it becoming flag football? Let me tell you the first sign of the NFL becoming flag football. It's that the Olympics are going to have flag football when the Olympics come to L.A. in 2028. Flag football is going to be a part of it. Now, the the NFL 
has said, yeah, we're not really going to encourage players to play, but you tell me they're not? You tell me there's not going to be some players want to play? Is this the metamorphosis of the NFL moving towards flag football? Brady said that. Brady said, look, I can almost see it becoming flag football down the road. That's interesting to me. That's fascinating to me because what did we grow up with? Dick Butkus just died. Dick Butkus was the poster child for ferocity. He talked about biting guys, hitting them in the cratch, uh, poking guys' eyes, doing whatever you need. They used to flatten out tennis cans. Tennis cans used to be metal. They would flatten them out, put them on their forearms, tape them up, put a little J-pad over them, and knock the living hell out of their opponent. Then it became you got jacked up. On ESPN, I told you this before, my son would be out. And I'm like, Andrew, let's go to school. Dad, we got to watch you got jacked up on ESPN. Yeah, you're right, we do. And it would be these monstrous, monstrous hits to the point where I actually was ahead of the game in Indianapolis. I told people, look, this isn't going to continue. There's no way in hell this is going to continue. And we've seen that it has. However, however, is this the future? Is flag football the future? Look, I'm not mad at Tom Brady. Uh, And here's what he said. In football, it is a physical sport. There is a physical element to all of this. You throw a 15-yard flag for something that, you know, 20 years ago maybe wouldn't have been a flag. That affects the game in a big way. Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. There's so many people that want it less and less physical. It's more like flag football, which which is going to be an Olympic sport in 2028. Maybe, maybe football goes to flag football over a period of time. How about that? Now, Tom Brady, I'm sure, has information. Tom Brady, I'm sure, has people telling him, hey, look, you can't really go to flag football, can you? You can't really soften this, can you? I would say this. If the NFL ever goes to flag football, I'll be dead. It ain't going to do it for 20 years. Why? The cash is rolling in. But, but, 5, 3, 8, 10, Two years ago, this would not have even been a real conversation. It'd have been like, I don't know, come on, you're crazy. But now, now with Tom Brady talking about it, now with flag football entering the Olympics, not only is it a real conversation, it's going to be the conversation within a year. Mark my words, there's going to be debate on both sides. After the Olympics, and this is always something that happens, whether it's with stars or with sports, after the Olympics, they're going to go and get the temperature, the NFL is. How popular was the sport? What were the TV ratings for flag football? Did stars, are stars able to shine and become, oh, I don't know, marketing folk? You mark my words. That's what's going to happen after the Olympics. It's almost like it's a test balloon for the NFL. Now, as I'm speaking to you, 
It all sounds absurd to me. It all sounds stupid to me, but it ain't. Tom Brady didn't just say that for the Sam and Henry of it. Flag football isn't all of a sudden in the Olympics for the Sam and Henry of it. It's in there because the NFL is looking for ways to sustain itself 50 years from now. And I believe the NFL does not think that it can sustain itself 50 years from now with the violence that's even at this level. And last thing on Brady, before I I go on to something else, look at me, you guys on YouTube. Look at me. Isn't he supposed to be an announcer? Didn't they pay him a bazillion dollars to be an announcer? Well, what, what was he doing? Was he get the chill? I thought he was supposed, I thought there was this whole Greg Olson is really good according to people and Tom Brady's going to take his job. I'm reading this today and I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I thought he was supposed to be a broadcaster. I thought he was supposed to be on my TV. I totally forgot about it. I did. I did. It says this, he's starting his career with Fox in 2024 for $375 million. And my man, let me go back to this. The irony of this statement from Brady is that the NFL made these rule changes to protect quarterbacks and mostly to protect Brady. But now it's flag football. Yeah, I I thought Brady was supposed to be an announcer. I, I don't know. You know what? I get tired of athletes, and athletes get tired of me. In and around Indianapolis, there are some athletes that are mad at me. There are some writers that are mad at me. There's media people mad at me, and what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what? Am I get sad about it? What? But there are also, I get tired of athletes. I never tire of hearing some ex-athletes. I never tire when Tom Brady talks for the most part. I never tire when I hear Charles Barkley talk. The list is short. I like Troy Aikman. On TV, I'm a Chris Collingsworth fan. I am. I'm sorry, but I am. But I got to tell you, this Micah Parsons guy is giving me gas. You know what? Bring the same energy for our rivals. That's what Micah Parsons says. Well, before I get to Micah Parsons' quotes, let me explain something to you. I don't understand the whole America's team as we move into 2024. I don't. I understood it back in the day. The Dallas Cowboys had the hot cheerleaders on the sideline. The Dallas Cowboys had the cool uniforms. The Dallas Cowboys were innovative. They had the shotgun before anybody had the shotgun. Their offensive line did weird things. They stood up and they went down, all this kind of stuff. Dallas Cowboys were cool. Roger Staubach was a Navy guy. He was a bad man, was a Heisman Trophy winner. They were cool. They had a cool stadium. They had the middle cut out so God could watch the Cowboys, as they said, and they were on every stinking Sunday, it felt like, in the 4 o'clock window. You couldn't wait to watch the Cowboys, and, of course, they won. So that's America's team. When football was growing, they touched the soul of America. They're an interesting team. Fast forward now. Jerry Jones, big talker, big mouth, rebuilt the Cowboys, won a couple titles way back when, built the stadium, That's basically a shrine to him, the first billion-dollar stadium. I've never been there, but I got to tell you, when you look at it, you're like, man, I want to go there. Okay, having said that, the Dallas Cowboys, because of this position and because of their promotion, are 
absolutely going to get criticized. They're going to get criticized more than anybody else. So if you are truly America's team, you got to know it, you got to learn it, you got to accept it. Dak Prescott's no different. In fact, Mike McCarthy's no different. Mike McCarthy's going to get fired every time the Cowboys don't win by enough. And I don't understand it, truthfully, except to say that the Cowboys are a lightning rod and everybody has an opinion. I personally don't. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really have an opinion on the Cowboys. I've liked watching the Cowboys. When the Cowboys play, it feels like a big game. But I don't have an opinion on them. I'm not a Cowboy hater. I'm not a Cowboy lover. I say to myself, it's hard to win. You beat the Chargers the other night, that's a good deal. Micah Parsons, though, who's like 23 years old and apparently knows it all, Micah Parsons rips the critics of the Cowboys. Bring that same energy for our rivals. No. I mean, you're the Cowboys. Here's what he said. I just don't condone the bashing of Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Well, really? Well, wait, 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 hold on here. You're on the Dallas Cowboys. Are we supposed to run everything by you? It, you know, it, are we supposed to say, hey, Micah, you're 23 years old. You don't know your ass from third base. You're a hell of a pass rusher. But let's run it by you, what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. That's like media guy here. We're going to run it by you to see, hey, look, does it meet your standards? Your standards are squat, Micah Parsons. I just don't condone the bashing. You know what? I don't condone the bashing of Dan Dockage. I've noticed a lot of you have been bashing me on Twitter lately. I just don't condone it. I, I just don't condone it. Nah. Oh, put that back up. I'm not done with that. Let's go. Put that back up. What are we doing? I got to get through that. I like that. And not have the same energy for the Eagles. We want the same energy for everybody because there's a whole bunch of bashing when it's Dak Prescott, but not the same when it's the Eagles. Now let's review. How stupid is this? I don't condone the bashing of the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. All right. Let's keep the same energy for the Eagles. You're America's team. The Eagles just got to the Super Bowl. You haven't gotten a squat. You haven't gotten a nothing. We want the same energy for everybody. Good. I want a full head of hair. I do. No, seriously, I do. Well, who cares what you want? You're being paid millions to play football. There's a whole bunch of bashing when it's Dak Prescott. Yeah, because you're America's team. Yeah, duh, you're America's team. There's a whole bunch of prep. You did it again to me. There's a whole bunch of prep. All right, we'll move on. But it's not the same with the Eagles. I, uh, all right. Uh, uh, critics said we beat a nameless Zach Wilson or a team without Aaron Rodgers, all these things. One thing that the Jets did have against us was Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. They were also missing a few other pieces, and they beat the Eagles. But apparently, the Jets aren't a significant win. They aren't a good team without Aaron Rodgers, which I said wasn't true. I'm glad Zach Wilson is proving people wrong. He just beat a great Eagles team. Well, that's what the critics are going to say. So why is it that we were just scrubs and we're nobodies that don't deserve to be on the field and we're just taught? but there's a hundred excuses for these other teams. 
If you all just going to hate that Cowboys Nation, just say y'all hate Cowboys Nation. But don't sit there and throw shade on us. Keep the same energy for everyone. What is he talking about? I'm telling you, man. I've been telling you this for years and years and years. The level of stupid when it comes to the modern-day athlete. I didn't read. Let me see here. Hang on a second here. I didn't read where anyone said they were scrubs, nobodies. I read where it said. I don't even know where I read where it said. I mean, I guess uh, he doesn't like the fact that everybody didn't jump up and down, stand on their head, poop snowballs. When freaking they beat the Jets. Look, I'm just telling you, the modern day athlete is a damn fool. Smart people, particularly football guys, but when they open their mouths, when they start talking, and we got to listen to them, that's when I just get gas. I'm going to look at this again. Why is it that we were just scrubs and we're nobodies that don't deserve to be on the field and we're just talk? But there's a hundred excuses for these other teams. Well, let's address that a second because the Dallas Cowboys are only talk. The Dallas Cowboys do just talk. The Dallas Cowboys haven't won jack squat for I don't even know how many years. I think I was teaching basketball class to maniacs at Indiana University, 8, 9, and 10 o'clock class in the morning. I think the last time the Dallas Cowboys were any good. Troy Aikman was the quarterback. How many different quarterbacks did we have between then and now? Holy hell. How many different players? How many different preseason? How many different press conferences with Jerry Jones? I don't know how many, but it was a lot. How many times did we tell them they're the biggest, the best? We're the Dallas Cowboys, blah, 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 blah. Nobody called anybody scrubs. Nobody said you didn't belong on the field. They just simply said you got your ass beat or you won, but you didn't play well. And I'll go to this. If this guy thinks it's bad in Dallas, try New York. Hell, in Indy, Indy's the place where De- uh, Micah Parsons should play. Indy, we do articles on the kicker's Legos. In Indy, our star basketball player, Miles Turner, is very comfortable being a mediocre player with immense talent, but he'll put out his Lego collection, if you can believe it. What do you fans think I should add to my Lego collection? Try that in Chicago or New York. Hell, try it in Dallas. Try it, Try being on a team with expectations, Miles Turner. There are no expectations in Indianapolis, whether it's the Colts, whether it's the Pacers. It's just a nice little Midwestern city with a massive murder problem and a team nobody cares about. I loved playing at Indiana because I loved that every game we went to was a massive game. I loved running out on the court no matter where it was, and the place was packed. Micah Parsons apparently doesn't love that. Micah Parsons apparently should be playing here in Indy. Greg Doyle will write a puff piece on you. Stephen Holder and Mike Wells, they'll share videos with you. That's what we do here in Indy. Jeez, is there anything better in the world than having high expectations? Oh, my God. Micah Parsons, I lift the cheek to thee. Er, There you go. Buyer beware, speaking of mouths. All right, the NBA is starting up. Now, let me explain something to you, okay? When the NBA starts up, it's not about the games on the field. That's a part of it. And I close my eyes 
because it just makes me sick. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to listen to players talk. The NBA player talking, speaking, philosophizing is the worst. So what's happening here? Buyer beware. They're starting to realize at the major networks, huh, got a lot of NBA games on. It's a lot of inventory. We need inventory. But this inventory ain't good inventory because we don't know who the hell's playing. The players are unlikable. Most of the players here are, well, the best players, Jokic, Greek Freak, Doncic. What do they all have in common? They're foreigners. Victor Webanyama from France. American players are kind of entitled. 12 years old. Stupid, if you must know the truth. So the networks are saying, hang on a second here. Buyer beware. There's a decreasing value in what the NBA wants is not, I don't think, what they're going to get in these TV deals. TV networks want less. And, oh, by the way, tell me this doesn't help the old brand. You remember the story of James Harden yelling and screaming and calling his GM a liar? Do you remember that? Well, James Harden, the last couple of days, hasn't shown up for practice. Apparently, he's in, well, Houston. His team is, well, in Philly. Apparently, it was 10-cent wing night at the Lilas, the strip club in Houston, and he had to go. I don't know what's true. I took that off of the Carton show, by the way. I thought it was funny. I don't know what the Lilas is, but everybody on the panel seemed to. The hell do I know? I'm not strip club guy. I'm not adverse to it, not opposed to it, just not strip club guy. Anyway, so now networks are saying, hold the phone here. Listen to this. I didn't realize this. ESPN and TNT carry roughly 165 nationally televised games combined. And they are trying, exploring, signing up smaller packages, said people familiar with the They should. That arrangement would help them hang on to a premier asset in American media without breaking the bank. Those companies already are in renewal talks which the NBA, with exclusive negotiation period, set to expire in April. What that means is ESPN and TNT have the exclusive rights until April to negotiate a new deal. If the deal does not get done, then others like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Google, uh, whatever, can get involved in a negotiation. The price for the NBA is increasing The interest in the NBA is decreasing. The on-court product has steadily grown dull. Regular season games matter only a little. Star players tell us each time they sit out for load management or, in LeBron's case, a sore ankle. Look, that's an intended consequence. Sometimes I give you unintended consequences, but that is an intended consequence. It is if we don't know if our star players are playing on a regular basis, and I am an ESPN executive, I am saying to Adam Silver, dude, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I've had enough. I can't be selling Golden State without Steph. I can't be selling 
the Los Angeles Lakers without LeBron. I cannot sell Milwaukee without the Greek freak. I, it, it's not getting it done for us. There are always two sides in negotiations, just thus the term negotiation. My side, other side, other side, my side. We oftentimes only think about it from our side. And I always try to tell you, there's always two sides. There's two things in everything. Two sides and a backstory. There's always a backstory. Anyway, let's continue. The most consequential consumer boycott of the 21st century did not come from drinkers' rejection of Bud Light, a beer. It came from sports. In particular, the NBA, which has destroyed its brand with a large percentage of American sporting public by embracing woke, political, far-left messaging within its game. Now, here's the deal. He ain't wrong. Furthermore, the American sports media overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly supports far left-wing political messaging. They love it when it reflects their own ideals. The vast majority of the sports media wants sports to be filled with left-wing politics. They see it as an affirmation of their own personal beliefs, and they applaud it. Well, he's absolutely right. So, Pat McAfee, let me give you an example. Awful Announcing is a website that caters to announcers, and it's far, far left. The owner, Benny Koo, is this just ridiculous left-wing hack. They're awful, which is their name. So Pat McAfee's doing a show, and Pat McAfee's show, is, it's in a tough spot. You know, I think it's on at noon, it's tough for TV, fine. But in our world of YouTube and that, it dominates. So, of course, media, far-left media, is lurking. McAfee's the cool kid. McAfee makes more money than them, but here's where they attack. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the poster child for everything the left-leaning media cannot stand. He's anti-vax. He's anti-vax. He thinks his own thought. He lives his own life, and they hate it. I mean to tell you, they hate it. So what they do? They came out and they attacked Pat McAfee. Not because, well, in one sense because, he pays Aaron Rodgers. Well, our guy, Greg Doyle, begged me to get him paid to do interviews. Our guy, Greg Doyle, also called it embarrassing that there's things called paid interviews. Let me, let me tell you and explain. Doyle would not come on our station unless he was paid. And I tried to get him paid. I'm like, hey, that's cool. Live your life, man. I went and tried to get him paid. Greg Doyle tried to get him paid. Our station said, get out of here. I said, yeah, you're right. But I took a swing. I told Doyle, hey, I tried. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I need to get paid. Well, Aaron Rodgers comes on Pat McAfee. They find out he's getting paid. What does the very left, crazy, liberal Greg Doyle do? He shows himself to be a hypocrite. He talks about it's embarrassing to have paid interviews. Again, this is the guy that begged, literally, to get paid. So they're trying because it's Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers is now the target, and McAfee 
is the bigger target. They go at McAfee because he has who on the show? Aaron Rodgers. Why are they going at McAfee because he has Aaron Rodgers? Because Aaron Rodgers didn't get vaxxed. Aaron Rodgers had his own thoughts. Aaron Rodgers said, that's all Bolshevik. I'm immunized. And you remember what happened. The world exploded. My point is, the left-leaning media is going to attack anything that they can attack that the right does. And I don't even know that Aaron Rodgers is right. Not right as in accurate, right as in right-leaning. It's really absurd to me. But they can't stop. They absolutely cannot stop. They won't stop. They can't stop. They should stop, but they can't. They just simply cannot stop attacking when they disagree. And it's killing the NBA. Look, newspapers, when I first started, so left-leaning media guy that writes a column, when I first started with Twitter and all that, I go, you know, I want 152,000 circulation. I want 150, 152, whatever it was. That was the circulation of the Indy Star. I opened it up the other day, looked at what the circulation was. It's less than 35,000. People aren't paying attention to these clowns. People aren't paying attention to the left-leaning media. People aren't paying attention. That day is over. That day is done. And the NBA, I think, is going to find out. I do. I think they're going to find out when these negotiations come. I think they're going to find out that people don't give a rat's ass anymore about putting signs, Black Lives Matter, and all this other crap on your field. They don't care. They don't. And I'll tell you what else. By me even saying, by putting Black Lives Matter and all this crap on the field, about three years ago, that had got me blacklisted. Now it's like, yeah, you're right. Have you seen what Black Lives Matter have done? It's an interesting world. It really is. It's an interesting world that we live in. Clay's not wrong. There's a fun article that a guy wrote, and when you read the headline, you think something. But when you read the article, you think something else. Now, the headline is, and this is a problem that I have. We listen and, well, excuse me, we read the headline. Columnist calls on Ole Miss to fire Lane Kiffin if the Rebels lose to Auburn while taking shots at the Tigers. Well, I'm like, well, that's a weird column. This was a column down in Alabama. I thought, wow, that's crazy. Like, just because you lose, listen to how hard this guy goes at Kiffin. But this isn't real. This isn't really about Kiffin, but you won't believe what I'm going to say when I read this. Here it goes. Maybe he can get a job in Italy or Iceland or Slovenia or somewhere nice like that. That's fine. Doesn't have to be torture for Kiffin. I mean, I kind of like the guy, but a loss to Auburn this weekend gets the state's side coaching card revoked, no questions asked, and on the spot. There would be no living that down. It goes into orbit. All right. So you read that, and you go, wow. This guy named Goodman really hates Lane Kiffin. Like, I don't care that he says, hey, I like the guy. No. No. That ain't liking the guy. So now you're sitting there going, man, huh. In fact, the headline, uh, when I opened up the article, Goodman, 
Fire Lane Kiffin if he loses to Auburn. Joe Goodman's article, though, really isn't about Lane Kiffin and the fact that he should be fired. He's saying after the sentence, after the sentence that I just read, here's what he says about Auburn. This is kind of fascinating to me. That's how fundamentally flawed Auburn football is right now. And it has to terrify Kiffin a little bit, knowing that his entire coaching career is suddenly riding on beating a team that A, has the worst offense in all of college football, and B, doesn't even want to try to get better, never mind win games in the SEC. Now, again, you look at this and you say, huh, but this is what the article is about. This is where they're at. He actually says about his quarterback situation at Auburn, this, listen to this, they've re- both regressed so badly that I'm surprised Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne, the two quarterbacks, haven't forgotten how to tie their shoes. <laughs> now, when you criticize these poor little college athletes, people are going to get mad. But you know what I say? I lift the cheek. I don't care. Criticize them all you want. Look, when I played, we got criticized. What are you going to do? We survived. We lived. We thrived. I'm not suggesting, the columnist says, Auburn is actively tanking games at this point in the season. Listen to this. Tanking infers motive and strategy. Auburn is much worse than that. Auburn, the columnist says, is so thoroughly broken that its new coach, Hugh Freeze, doesn't even seem to care. And then he gives you a ton of statistics. See, the bigger point is this. You got to read the article. You got to read the damn article. Too many times people just simply read the headline. And if you read that headline, I honestly thought it was going to be the list. The coach's list. When they want to fire a coach, they bring out the list. What's the list, you asked? Well, in 2020, Dockage kicked a dog. In 2023, Dockage went to the Starbucks and only tipped $10 on a $20 order. You get my point. It's the list. And the list keeps coming. Writers go back 10 years. Well, you know, 10 years ago, we have video of him saying this. 10 years ago, on October 18th, he went out and he went swimming and his pants fell off. How embarrassing. I mean, that's the list. That's the stupid stuff. That's the way the world works. I thought it was going to be that. I didn't realize it was going to be like, hey, Auburn. You're the worst friggin' team in the world. You have the worst, I think it was the worst defense in the world other than Bowling Green. And he makes fun of Bowling Green, which I take offense to. But yeah, I don't know if this guy's an Alabama fan. I don't know if this guy's butthurt about Hugh Freeze. But when you read the article, and again, I always talk about that. When you read the article, he's got statistics to back it up. And none of them, none of them are about Lane Kiffin which I absolutely find fascinating. I do. So the next time you're walking around, you're mad at your coach, you see an article, you go, hey, wait a second, let me read this thing. 
Let me see what this thing is about. Here in Indiana, I mean, make no mistake, in Indiana, we got a coaching problem. We got a real coaching problem. And there isn't any, 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 any defending Tom Allen. I guess you could defend Tom Allen and say he's a good guy. It's almost like this. Whoever plays Indiana, the coach should be fired for losing to Tom Allen. I hate to say it that way, but that's the way it goes. So I understand here in the great state of Indiana what's going on. I understand that, hey, look, your program is so bad that if somebody loses to you, that coach has got to be fired. Here's a question for you. What would you do? What would you do if you were a school like Indiana or a school like Auburn? Now, Hugh Freeze is in his first year. I think it's his first year. Maybe it's his second. Either way, he, ladies and gentlemen, got a second chance. So you're in Auburn. Your team is historically inept. You're paying a guy big money. You're at Indiana. Even by Indiana standards, your team is historically inept. See, in basketball, a lot of times, they just fire you. Football, these buyouts are massive. Tom Allen right now has a $20 million buyout. If I were Allen, I would walk in and go, hey, guys, don't be afraid to can me. Don't be afraid to show me the door. Don't be afraid to let me go. Just write me that damn check, and we'll see ya. See, Tom Allen's situation is different. If Indiana waits a year, the buyout goes down to $7 million. We talked about it with Tim Brando yesterday. Hugh Freeze's situation is when you read this article, they almost have no chance, like no chance to compete in the league. Zero, none, no defense, no talent. I remember that Peyton Thorne quarterback kid. You'll remember him too if you're a Big Ten football fan, particularly Indiana fan. Indiana used to beat him when he was at Michigan State. He was that blonde-haired kid, I think. I think he was. I could be wrong, but I just remember him being bad, really bad. But anyway, when you got a football problem, when you got a football coach's problem, you got a serious, serious problem because the money is so freaking great. All right, we're going to come back. Last night, ladies and gentlemen, I got it done for you. I told you take the Astros. I told you take the damn Astros. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You didn't listen, or did you listen? If you listened, your toes are tapping. We're going to talk to Jeff Blum, who is the TV analyst for the Astros, coming up at 10 o'clock. Coming up, I got more stuff, including Conor McGregor. What the hell's Conor McGregor got going on? What's he doing? Conor McGregor, Phil Mickelson, we got a bunch to get to. And, hey, look, I got to talk about Victoria's Secret. I'm coming back with Victoria's Secret. I'm going off script here. Victoria's Secret... I lift the cheek to thee. We'll be right back. Looking for the hottest sportsbook offers? At OutKick, find exclusive promotions, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at OutKick.com slash bet. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. 
Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages, hear me out here. You got a lingerie line. You got an iconic lingerie line. You got hottest women in the world dying to walk down runways wearing next to nothing lingerie, panties, bras, evening wear, Victoria's Secret kind of stuff. So big, ladies and gentlemen, that it had its own TV series or TV show or TV special. That's how big this is. Why? I'll tell you why. Well, guys, which make up, I think, the majority of the population in this country, like to see beautiful women scantily dressed. I know that's blasphemous to the purple-haired Julie DiCarlo, uh, Sally Jenkins crowd, but we do. I'm sorry, we do. We just do. All right? Like it, dislike it, hate it, we do. We like to see a nice set. Skinny waist, beautiful. I mean, we do. I'm sorry. Like, it's just the world. We, we can act like we don't because some purple-haired freak says we shouldn't, but we do. Women like it because women are different than men. Women like nice things. Women like pretty things. I've said forever, women are so much smarter than men. They got it figured out. Look, that's why I'm going to get a pedicure at what's called the beauty bar, where I can have a mimosa have a pumpkin something done to my feet, and you know what? Sit back, relax. My, my daughter's coming to town. We may throw a facial in there too. Me, my wife, and my daughter. We may just have a day. Women are smarter than men. Women like nice things. Now, I'm not saying big bruiser broad likes nice things. I'm not saying that. I mean, she can go out and chop wood all she'd like. Up to her. But Victoria's Secret decided we're going to be smarter. We're going to acquiesce. I'll tell you what America doesn't like. The angry lesbian. They just don't. I'm sorry. They don't like the angry anything. We don't like the angry gay guy. We don't like the angry Hollywood guy. We don't like the angry movie star. We don't like the angry nothing. All right? So what do you normally see on TV advertising? Happy guy. Funny guy. You do. I'm sorry. Where's the beef? Back in the 70s. It was iconic. Peyton Manning does every commercial. Why? Because he's perceived as happy guy. Charles Barkley's voice sounds happy. We don't like angry lesbian, angry heterosexual, angry dude, angry woman doing our ads. We just don't. Name me one. Name me one angry dude, woman, whatever, that is doing ads and not doing it maybe as a parody of themselves. John McEnroe would do it as a parody of himself. You've got to be kidding me or whatever it was. So we don't like it. We also, no matter what anybody thinks, and I'm a fat guy, fat is not pretty. I'm fat from right here to my, uh, what do they call it, my fupa. Right there to right there. I got a belly. I got a big old belly, and I take my shirt off. It is not attractive. It's horrible. 
So Victoria's Secret decided, hey, look, guess what? We're going to take some biggins and we're going to get an angry spokeswoman. But hey, she's a power lesbian, so it'll all be right. That lesbian, Megan Rapino. Well, why do you got to call her a lesbian? Because that's all she ever talks about is being a lesbian. So I'm acquiescing to her. That's it. That's what I'm doing. So anyway, they decide at Victoria's Secret that they're going to outsmart us. Their television show, got people got angry, not people, these wildebeests in the world that we live in, got angry because, well, it was, it was insulting to women. No, it wasn't. It beautified women. It, it objectified women. Yeah, maybe it did. I don't know. But I know this. It made women look beautiful. So they went with the fatties. They went with the biggins. They went with all of the things that people just simply don't like to see on TV. They went with angry spokesmodel. They, they went with big, fat gals. So the headline, Victoria's Secret ditches prioritizing wokeness over sexiness after sales drop. Well, no kidding. I mean, do you remember the angels? I do. The Victoria's Secret angels were supermodels. They were hot as hell. And look, that's what we want. Don't give a damn what somebody says. According to the numbers, the lingerie's brand projected revenue for 2023 is $6.2 billion. That's pretty good. Which is 5% lower than it was last year and even lower than 2020 when it was 7.5. The drop in sales followed the company's move to make its board of directors mostly female. Really? Hmm. All right. Uh, and of course, <laughs> Megan Rapino was involved. Look, I don't know. Get woke, go broke. Don't sell us on the biggins. Sell us on the hotties. You want dudes? You want women? Women like the hotties too. Look, the last thing a woman wants to do is sit there and see an ad with some big old, you know, selling draws, selling underwear. Nay, nay, Nanook. Not in the world that I live in, and my world is a damn good world. Well, here we go again, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go again. Let me read it to you. Conor McGregor will not face charges of sexual assault. Let me read it right. Conor McGregor won't face charges any longer stemming from allegations he sexually assaulted a woman in the bathroom of Kashia Center during the Heat Nugget final game. Prosecutors have now decided there is insufficient evidence to pursue the situation further, according to TMZ. Listen to this. Here we go again. Authorities also cited contradicting and or no corroborating witnesses as another reason for why no charges were brought. Insufficient evidence doesn't clear them. No corroborating witnesses doesn't clear them. The problem is contradicting. Contradicting witnesses. That's the problem for the alleged victim. That and the fact that video was shown where the alleged victim was laughing after with Conor McGregor. Look, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I know this. I ain't believing everybody ever. 
Always believe the woman is crap. Always believe the guy is crap. Always go where the facts take you, where the evidence takes you. Really? Oh, man. Who'd have thunk it? You know, one thing I'm tired of, and maybe you are too, and I'll be curious your thoughts on this. Are you a little tired, a little bit of live golf, whining? Are you a little tired of Mickelson whining? See, the live golfers left, took a ton of money. Good for them. I got no problem with it. I'd have done it too. I promise you, I would have. But the facts of the matter are there are some consequences with those actions. We've talked about it. We've talked about Ryder Cup. Only Brooks Kepka because he won a major. He's on it. We talked about these guys are not being allowed into majors because their world ranking doesn't qualify. So guess what? Live golfers can't get into the majors, but Phil Mickelson must keep this alive. The majors, he says, need to protect their product, and he's right. And there's probably other ways that they can do that by creating slots. If they want to make sure they have the best fields in golf, they could create vehicles for players on live to play in majors where they don't have to use the world rankings. That's the OWGR. Now, you're right. They have slots in majors for other tours. They could probably give slots to the live tour. But the live tour has only been around two years. I mean, how do you know? I mean, I know there's good players, but how do you really know? I don't know, but I do know this. I'm tired of the whole conversation. They're starting to give me gas. They are. I want to talk about James Harden no-showing at the 76ers practice again. You know, here's the deal. You're not paid to do anything if you're James Harden other than to play basketball. Well, I guess maybe that's wrong. I'm talking about paid from the 76ers. Playing basketball entails showing up at practice. Playing basketball entails showing up at team functions. I guess playing basketball entails probably being okay to sponsors when they're on a bus, a plane, or maybe, maybe, just maybe being a normal human being to people that are helping the organization with which you work. That's all James Harden is asked to do. That's it. There's nothing more. He is not asked to be a pillar of society. I guess he's asked not to be a drunk or be, a, be a, an embarrassment to the, to the team. I guess that's part of being a basketball player. But the biggest part is you got to show up to work. I mean, you got to show up to work. It's that simple. You know, I guess I could call myself a broadcaster or an entertainer if I sit in my backyard all day and talk to birds. Hey, that bird is flying to the right. Look, he made a hard left, and away he goes. And here comes another bird, I guess. But am I really? Now, you become a broadcaster or an entertainer when, guess what? You got a job in the broadcasting entertainment business, and oh, by the way, you show up for the job. The dude is being paid $36.5 million, and he's sulking about it. He's sulking that he didn't get the long-term extension, the Supermax kind of deal, that apparently Daryl Morway, Mor Morey, in James Harden's mind, promised him. Okay, you didn't get it. Well, did you really deserve it? Have you ever really deserved it? And who actually deserves $36 million to show up fat, win a few games, and tank in the playoffs? Certainly 
The Sixers felt James Harden did, and certainly James Harden felt like he did by agreeing, but you got to show up to work. This is the problem with the NBA. This is the problem. We are tired of United States of America-born basketball players. We are tired of the entitled college guy. We are entitled. We are tired of the NBA guy that is making more in a month than most of us make in a lifetime, and they're sitting there whining, bitching, moaning, and complaining. I mean, think about it. $36 million comes out pretty smooth to $3 million a freaking month. A month. Three million. And this guy can't show up to work. This guy is apparently last three days in another city, not New York to Philadelphia, not Boston to Philadelphia, not Newark to Philadelphia, for crying out loud, Houston, Texas. Now, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's sickening. And I got to tell you, I, I, I hate it. I do. But I cannot watch the NBA. It comes on. There is never, other than the playoffs, and maybe if the Pacers get in it, can I sit there and say, golly, I want to watch the NBA. These guys are interesting. These guys are fascinating. These guys try, no, 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 no. These guys don't do jack squat, and every time they open their mouths, the next one is dumber than the other because if you have been in the NBA a long time, then you're an entitled pain in the ass. And if you're just getting in the NBA, you're an 18-year-old. And who wants to hear from an 18-year-old if you're over 19? I don't know. I know I'm an old guy. Get off my lawn. Yay, rah. Go fight. Win. All right. Uh, it, it's not getting easier for former Raider Chandler Jones. He was... Uh, He was arrested once again. This is an ongoing sad tale, and I've told you this forever. I've said this for a long time. Understand that it's always the same people. And this goes back to Steve Howe, the relief pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers back when I was in college. Every other month, it felt like Steve Howe was getting suspended for drugs every single time. I'm like, ah, not this guy again. So I learned, wait a second here, it's always the same guys. And guess what? Chandler Jones has moved into the same guy territory. The Antonio Brown territory. The James Harden territory. You know what I'm talking about. So this time he was arrested and charged with violating a domestic violence temporary protection order. His second arrest in about a month. I don't pretend to be a psychologist. I let that for others. I really do. But this guy is a, there's something either, one of two things. I'm closing my eyes a lot today because I'm I'm thinking here. One of two things is going to happen. One, he's going to end up dead. I hate to put it that way, but it seems like this is the route. He's going to end up dead or he's going to end up in jail for a while. I mean, rarely do we see guys smart enough or I guess have people around him enough where they say, hey, look, hey, look, we're going to get you to rehab and we're not letting you out until you're ready. And the guy agrees. It doesn't happen that way. That's not the way these things work. The guy, Chandler Jones, fights it and fights it and fights it. Just does. All right. Well, guess what? Either dead or in jail for a long time. And it's going to be sad. You know, I don't know. Last thing, the NFL has a turf problem. And here in Indianapolis, we've told you for years, 
People think our turf here at Lucas Oil is horrible. A lot of guys are blaming the injury to Anthony Richardson on the turf. That's just stupid. But we have a stupid media here. So execs are coming together and saying, look, we got to have kind of a uniform turf. And I don't disagree. I think the goal needs to be to limit the number of different surfaces our clubs play on. So a player has an appreciation when he steps out of the field in one city that's going to feel very similar to the surface he steps on in a different city so it doesn't feel hard or soft or slick or sticky. He knows what that's going to feel like. Therefore, the appreciation of it is going to satisfy him to some degree. See, I'm not even worried about satisfying him. What I say is this. It just makes common sense. The money you're paying these guys, make grass in every field and let's go. There's no need for artificial turf. I understand that artificial turf, or whatever you want to call it now, is much better than it was. I get all that, but the fact of the matter is simply this. Just play it on grass. You got enough money. Grass is made. You can roll it up, take it out, do whatever you want. Just figure it out. You got these athletes you're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to. You got to protect them. That just makes sense to me. And there used to be a day where it was difficult to do this. That day has passed. So do yourself a favor. Make it all grass. Make it plush. Make it nice. Make it soft. And forget about it. It's that simple. Hey, Jeff Blum, longtime 14-year major leaguer. He is now the television analyst for the Arizona, or excuse me, Houston Astros. Houston Astros got a big win last night. I'm looking forward to talking to Jeff Blum next. Are you looking for the hottest sportsbook offers? At OutKick, find exclusive promos, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at OutKick.com backslash bet. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the OutKick network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, remind me later to get after Dylan and Ryan and all these guys that produced this show. They didn't know who Jimmy Chitwood is. Like, son of a bitch. I got to look that. What are you doing? Anyway, uh, last night was the easiest gambling night in my my way of thinking ever because I believe the Houston Astros. I believe in the Houston Astros. I don't know if they're going to win. But they're not going to get swept, I didn't think. Jeff Blum is a 14-year veteran. He does the TV. Uh, He's TV analyst for the Houston Astros. Uh, You know, look, I know it's not to, you know, talk to somebody that actually works around the team to talk about gambling, but it's, it's not really the gambling aspect of it. It was just like, there's no way they're getting swept. This team has too much heart, too much experience, and I felt like Scherzer... I don't know if this ever works, a guy coming back from being out so long, being injured. I don't know, Jeff. You were there 15 years. Never is a dumb thing to say, but it felt like this was going to be a W. No, I'm with you on that. It's good to be on with you. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned a couple of things. The Astros on the road and then Max Scherzer having not pitched in a good month or so. What was he going to be like? And the Astros have even beat him when he has been Max Scherzer of old. So, 
it was kind of the perfect storm with the Astros playing on the road again, getting to the American League Western Division Championship with a losing record at home. And this postseason, one for three at home, but on the road, they're still undefeated. And what they do in Arlington is actually unbelievable. I think it's 47 runs now in the last four games in that ballpark. They just they absolutely go out there, destroy their pitching. They've made that Arlington ballpark their second home. But like you said, playing on the road against an, an, not an unproven Max Scherzer, but a Scherzer that hasn't pitched in a good month, it was a perfect matchup to go out there and win some money if you were happening to do that. <laughs> I did. I'll tell you right now. I did, and I told all my viewers, don't even screw around tonight. I like this. All right, let me go to this. You played 14 years in the big. You played in every park. I've seen every situation, every kind of pitcher. What, what is it about the stadium out there in Arlington that Houston likes? Is it configured? Are there big gaps? What, what do we got here? Well, you know what? The first time we went through there, it was really big to left field. You know, it was uncharacteristic to the old stadium in Arlington where the ball flew uh, both to left field and mostly right center field. It was a great place to hit. I loved playing there. But uh, this new ballpark, for whatever reason, and uh, the Astros play extremely well there, I think it has a little bit to do with the familiarity, a little bit of that rivalry and hatred for the Texas Rangers where you want to go out there and prove their uh, fans wrong when they're booing you. But at the same time, Dusty mentioned it on that off day that they had the workout during his press conference. He said, our guys come in here, and for whatever reason, if it's that backdrop, the lighting, or like you said, the way the field is configured, these guys see the ball great here. And again, the one weakness that the Rangers do have is that is that starting rotation once you get past Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Avaldi who are they going to throw out there they tried Max Scherzer but that bullpen gets beat around the pitching is the weakness of the uh, Texas Rangers and the Astros actually exploited it last night I got to ask you about El Tuve uh, you know in a world where everything is bigger and stronger and you know I, I I'm still I, I gotta tell I went to a Astros Cubs game a few years back and, and I'm just stunned at how little this guy is, but he's great. No, he's he's unbelievable. If you know, it's hard to quantify what he actually brings to the table because, like you said, in the media guide, it's going to say five six, five seven. He might be a little bit shorter than that, but at the same time, he is in peak performance and peak shape. Uh, he runs fast. He he plays a relatively good defense, but the fact that he's able to generate as much power as he does out of that swing at his stature is what is remarkable to me because there's really no ballpark that can hold him. And the fact that he's been in the postseason playing close to 95 games, racked up 25 home runs. He is the second all-time leader in postseason home runs just behind Manny Ramirez at 29. So what he's been able to do is is Hall of Fame worthy at this point if he's able to maintain this pace that he's on. But the fact that he's able to go out there and inspire so many young athletes who look at baseball and, like you said, you've got to be Aaron Judge size or Giancarlo Stanton or some of these other guys where they just go out there and they're bursting out of their jersey and they're driving the ball out of the ballpark, he gives you an opportunity to say, I can be like that guy because he's accomplished it at that level at that size. Honest to God. Hey, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, the hate, Texas uh, and Houston. Uh, that's a real baseball rivalry, correct? 100%. I think that uh, if you actually go back to game one and the ratings on that ALCS, you know, overwhelming some of the previous ALCSs, I think gives you a really good idea that Major League Baseball 
kind of won in, as far as the matchup in the American League Championship Series, having two in-state rivals. It was bitter before they ended up being in the American League back in 2013. Now you have them as an interdivision rivalry and an interstate rivalry. It just adds to uh, some of that vitriol and the fact that the Texas Rangers, in the you know when the Astros first came over in 13-14, it was the Texas Rangers division. Now it's kind of shifted in the last seven years to the Astros division, and that's what creates a lot of that animosity. You know, I like to make fun of myself and, and because when I'm right, I tell everybody in the world that I'm right, like I'm, you know, self-promoting. But when I'm wrong, I like to tell everybody I'm wrong, too. I went to the Cubs-Rangers game this year, and it was early. It was like late April, maybe early May, Jeff. And I mm-hmm. swear to God, it was, it was the worst big league performance. I've been at 1,000 Cubs games. I grew up in that area. and I, <laughs> the, the second baseman does one of these the right fielder kicks two balls. The center fielder and the right fielder, they get, you know, who's catching it. And I remember, you know, we walked out going, man, the Rangers stink. Like, they're horrible. <laughs> and I forgot about them all year. This Ranger team, and, and Bruce Bochy, I think, and Dusty Baker, I think both of these guys deserve a ton of credit, both in their 26 year, right? No, I'm with you on that. I think that's one of the more underrated or maybe undertold stories in this postseason is the fact that you've got two salties managing these ball clubs who have a vast amount of experience <laughs> yeah. both playing and as the managers. You know, Bruce Bochy comes in with three World Series championships with the San Francisco Giants, kind of took a couple of years off, uh, you know, kind of uh, maybe overhauled the body, so to speak, you know, a couple of new knees, uh, rejuvenated that spirit as far as baseball is concerned. And maybe what he was watching, he said, even with the analytics, I can bring something back to this game. So credit Chris Young, the GM of the Texas Rangers, for bringing in a guy like Bruce Bochy, where in year, a couple of years past, most recently, they've tried some younger managers. You know, Chris Woodward was there, but they needed that stabilizer, that guy, that front man that's been around for a little while in Bruce Bochy. And then on the other side, the Astros were looking for some leadership and an established veteran manager who could handle some of the controversy that came out in 2020. And it turned out to be Dusty Baker, and he's just led them to an ALCS every single year he's been there and a World Series championship. So I think in this day and age of analytics and how we're kind of putting everything and everybody into an algorithm, it's great to get some of that humility and some of that uh, veteran leadership in Bochy and uh, Baker out there. I, I love the fact that these guys are in this ALCS, and one of them eventually will end up in the World Series. Yeah, I do too. Hey, I got to switch gear. I got to go to National League. You and I were talking off air, man. Hey, look. <laughs> The Philadelphia Phillies, I never thought I would say this. They're fun. I'm, I'm not talking about the – I'm talking about, you know, 93 with Dykstra and those guys. They were complete maniacs. I had Lenny yeah. on yesterday, and that was fun in that way. But their fans are fun. That's odd, is it not? 14 years you played in there. Come on, that's not normal in Philadelphia. No, because I have experience in old veteran stadium playing against good and bad teams as far as the Philadelphia Phillies were concerned. And then I've had the opportunity and maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, interesting misfortune playing left field in Citizens Bank ballpark. I, you know, everything that I know, everything I know about Philadelphia has just been has been uh, bombastic. It's been angry. It hasn't been this joy that we're watching in the postseason the last couple of years. And, you know, it was a lot of fun to watch the Astros go in and play in that environment last year. And I think that's where Philadelphia fans kind of established themselves as we can have an impact in this ballpark and motivate our team to go play great baseball. And I think in turn, 
you've seen the Philadelphia Phillies roster kind of galvanize around and rally around these fans and use them as motivation to get in there. But if there's a 10th man or a 10th person, if you want to say that, as far as Philadelphia is concerned, I think the fans have had an impact on how those guys play and maybe how some of the opposing teams come in there and play. It's been a lot of fun to watch how the Phillies roster has responded to them. You know, I've always said this, and maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't, but some some arenas, whether it's a basketball or football or baseball, they, they just show up better on TV. You, you know what I mean? And I, you know, like a playoff game in Yankee Stadium or for me, Wrigley Field or Boston, just it just shows up great on TV. I've never really felt that about Philadelphia. You mentioned those stadiums. I've never really felt that. And then I was watching, I don't know what, the, the earlier round, and I'm like, holy hell, is this fun to watch? And it's got to affect the players. It has to affect them. No, it's, it's infectious. And, you know, over the last seven years, watching what's happened here in Minute Maid Park with the fans, the closed roof, and the, the intensity and the noise that's being able to be created in a situation like this is something that I've actually become to appreciate, even though the Astros have had a tough time winning here at Minute Maid Park. The fans haven't let up. But I think on the other side, the Philadelphia Phillies have kind of embraced the idea that their team has been the underdog, even though their payroll is exceptional at over $200 million. But the fact that they've always been discounted, I think, is something that Philadelphia has kind of kind of latched on to and, and said, you know what, we're going to embrace this underdog mentality. We're going to go out there and scream our brains out, push these guys a little bit. Um, but I love the fact if you go back even towards the middle part of the season when they started to cheer on Trey Turner and say, you know what? You're scuffling a little yes. bit, but we appreciate the hell out of what you're doing because you're under contract for the next 10 years. So we're going to show you our love. And in return, Trey Turner's kind of flipped the script a little bit and become the player that you've anticipated. And not to mention some of the guys like Castellanos and, you know, Marsh in center field. They just kind of have this look and this appearance of being who the fans want them to be. And they're performing uh, well above what we expected. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to your point. Uh, you know, I know Altuve's great. I used to love George Springer and Carlos Carrera when they were all yeah. together. You know, uh, there's just some guys like Trey Turner or like yep. Schwarber uh, or George Springer, whoever, that just show in the postseason. So let me ask you, do you think for baseball and for his legacy that Otani and Mike Trout need a postseason moment or need moments? hundred percent. No, I absolutely agree on that. And I think even Mike Trout's getting to the point where he's kind of realizing that maybe, maybe the angels aren't where he needs to be in order to get to that postseason. because a lot of legacy and you can, you can see it, like you said, with the Kyle Schwarbers, with the George Springers, uh, even some of these guys with the Atlanta Braves who you, you can really establish a, a great career in the regular season. But what you're defined by is championships. And you go back and ask a lot of Hall of Famers, whether it be in NBA, NHL, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, and you say, wow, you had a ph phenomenal career. What was the one thing that you wish you had accomplished in the major leagues or in any major sport? And they wanted to win championships. You know, I had a chance to sit around and talk to Tony Gwynn quite a bit. He appreciated the opportunities he had in 84 and 98 going to the World Series, but at the same time, there was something missing on that resume, and a lot of these guys want to have that postseason, put up those postseason numbers, because you can create a great career, but the way you create legacy and create that legendary status that everybody wants to go for if you're putting up Hall of Fame numbers is going out there performing in the postseason and winning championships, and I really think 
the fact that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani have been watching what the Astros have done in the last seven years, it's kind of created a little bit of envy in their minds saying, you know what, I'm good, but I haven't been able to put it on the stage where I've been able to be seen nationally for a good 20, 30 games and accrue the kind of titles and rings and uh, stature that some of these guys in the Astros organization have. Yeah, it's, you know, it, 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 to your point, it's like, Okay, I watch baseball enough, not, but I, I never watched Chris Taylor or Justin Turner or Trey Turner. You know, Trey Turner. I mean, and then it's like every night in October, I'm, it seemed like at Chris Chambliss. I remember when I was a high school kid. It's a bomb in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Bucky freaking Dent, right? I mean, postseason baseball moments resonate for the rest of your freaking life. They just do. Yeah, I, I can speak to that. <laughs> I had my moment in 2005. So, you know, if you have a chance to have those moments yes. uh, and, and capitalize on them, they do last forever. I, I can speak to that. And I think when you start to see guys like Altuve, like I said, playing in 90 plus games and like some of these guys have, and you start to see your name on some of these postseason lifts, lists as far as hits, home runs, RBIs, you're watching what Jordan Alvarez is doing, scoring, you know, 10, 12 runs in seven or eight games. It's remarkable stuff. But those are the numbers that when you look in the postseason, those numbers last forever. Yeah, look, uh, again, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago. I remember your home run. I do. <laughs> I mean, I do. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I was a White that. Sox and a Cub fan. I do. I mean, look, you guys beat the Astros, ironically enough, right, in 2005. But I, I absolutely like. Hey, uh, I, I remember if you're if you're a fan of baseball or a fan of sports, you know, and that's why I feel bad in certain ways for Otani. Or actually, I feel bad for me because I would like to see Trout and Otani yeah. on the biggest stage against Judge, right, or against El mm-hmm. Tuve, you know, on a Saturday night in October. Let's put it that way. Yeah, a Justin Verlander, Mike Trout matchup in uh, in the postseason. Yes. How about Shohei Otani pitching against, you know, Christian Javier in a game three that means something to one of these teams? I think that's what you know. That's the matchup we're all looking for. And to be brutally honest, too, Major League Baseball wants these guys in the postseason because sure. they're so marketable too. Any chance Dusty leaves you guys and goes back to the Giants? <laughs> I don't know. He might be looking at that job saying, I can get back in the Bay Area where he has a real affinity for that community and what he was able to accomplish there. Uh, you never know. I know that his contract is up at the end of the year. and He's refused to talk about oh. it. He just wants to win now. So maybe it's in the back of his mind. But I know that he. So I'm really hoping that somewhere, you know, in some desk drawer buried or kind of hidden in a safe somewhere is that Hall of Fame speech that he's been working on because he's destined for that. You know what? Hey, I, I'm old enough to remember he was a hell of a player, man. He he was a hell of a player. He was. I grew up in L.A. watching him play as a youngster in the you know the late '70s, early '80s as a Dodger. I remember that vividly. Yeah, people don't realize that. Hey, uh, great talking to you. I hope you'll come back after you know during the World Series here if it gets that far. I, I would love to. I always appreciate the opportunity. It was great being on with you. Thank you. Yeah, that's Jeff Blum, man. That was a lot of fun. The Astros last night, he's the he's the analyst for the Astros in Houston. They don't do those series because the national TV takes it, but that was a lot of fun. I would love to see. I think everybody, God, it would be fun to see Otani, 
uh, to see Trout in there. And baseball is so cool with the postseason moments and the memories. You know, you remember where you were. Basketball has them, but it's mostly the stars. Like, people remember Michael Jordan. It's, it's a little different. Baseball's always been a little different of how it ingrains itself in the history of sport. I don't know. Uh, between numbers and everything, it just, it just feels that way. So, hey, that was a lot of fun. Uh, our hero of the week, our hero of the week, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than Dan Campbell. The damn awards. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The, wait a second. For, we did, for damn awards, we swapped worst week to Charlie Baker. Okay. All right. I'm with you on that. Dan Campbell did a really nice thing. You know, Dan Campbell is the kneecap-biting, sausages coach of the Detroit Lions. And usually in sports, when guys are like that, you know what? They're pretty sensitive guy. There is a media member, Bernie uh, Smilovitz. Bernie Smilovitz's um, wife died. And Dan Campbell did a really, really nice thing. He says, my heart goes out to you. God bless you. He talked about Bernie a few times. He talked about losing a wife. And, you know, that's the way the world really is of sports. I mean, a lot of guys that have sense. Now, you know what? Dan Campbell is an 18 to 23-year-old. He isn't an entitled little kid. No. But I will tell you this. Dan Campbell is one of those guys, like most people, that has a sensibility about him and a caring for other people. So often we get just bombarded on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. We get absolutely smacked over the head with the negativity going on in the world. And we get to the point where we think everything is bad. We get to the point where we think white hate black, black hate white. And then you go to the grocery store over here. I live in a very diverse community. And you go to the grocery store over here and everybody's great. Everybody's great. You go to the bar over here, everybody's great. But Dan Campbell, good for you. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith. Now, look, I don't know what Jada Pinkett Smith is supposed to be, but she is our moron of the week. You know, people say this to me all the time, but I can't do it because it's my job. They say, you know, dummy, you really should stop talking. And I don't disagree. I really should stop talking. There was a point in my life up till when I was about 50 where I didn't even like talking. I didn't. I didn't like talking. Now all I do is talk. It's talk. It's talk. It's talk. It's talk to the point where, hey, Dan, even I say, give it a rest. Go do yourself a favor. Get a book. Get a glass of wine and give it a rest. Although maybe, maybe, maybe that's what my wife said to me the other night. Yeah, maybe. Well, Jada Pickett-Smith keeps talking about her relationship with Will Smith. She calls it a, reveals a separation from Will Smith is a weight off my shoulders. Ever since the Oscars. It's interesting how such an intense event can bring you close. Hey, look, look, you had a swinging lifestyle. You were giving knobbers. You were throwing your thing around to other dudes while you were married. He was not who he thought he was. You're a pig. Get out of my face. You fooled us all for a long time. I've had enough of you. You're not as smart as you think. You, you got your head thing going, which is cool. You act like you're all intelligent. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. 
and you have to go away. You do. Go get a book, get a nice glass of wine, sit over there and read, as my wife says to me occasionally. Strangest move of the week, Dabo Sweeney ripping his own fans. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson is, I don't know, they tell me that he's the guy that doesn't like the transfer portal because he's made some comments that weren't exactly supportive of him. Dabo Sweeney has done a job at Clemson that very few thought could be done. Clemson is a town about this big. I better do this, not that, because that's like a white power sign, idiots say. It's about that big. The state is South Carolina. The state is not Clemson. So, but Dabo Sweeney put Clemson in rarefied air. If you, a couple years ago, were going to name me the three best college football teams before Georgia's run here, you'd say Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. That's kind of who it always came down to. It felt like. So Dabo Sweeney is now the victim of something that is good in one way, but it's bad in another incredible expectations of your fan base, meaning 10 and 2 ain't good enough. It just ain't. You can say whatever you want, but it just ain't. We got to be better. What? We're not in the college football playoff? What? We're not winning a national champion? What? We're 4 and 2? That's only winning 67% of our games? Here's what Dabo had to say. If you, don't under, if you don't go undefeated, people say you're losers, that you're terrible. Let me go this. Let me tell you something. This is why football coaches for years and years and years and years fought the college football playoff. We're at a point in time, and I hate that, where people, if you don't go undefeated, you're losers. You're terrible. Just a terrible mindset. Honestly, maybe we need to lose a few games and lighten up the bandwagon. Sometimes a bandwagon get a little full. That's the one good thing about going through a little bit of so-called adversity is that you really find out who's with you and who's not. That's all crap. Let me explain to you Dabo Sweeney's day, can I? Dabo Sweeney probably wakes up around 5, 5.30. Dabo Sweeney smokes shit, shower, shave, shampoo, goes to the office. Probably has a meeting at 7. Dabo Sweeney then is probably in different meetings with players or recruits or maybe the administration going and maybe watching film Whatever. Then he has practice. Then after practice, he's doing the same thing. Then in the evening, he's making phone calls. Probably goes home around 10. At no point in time in his day, his week, his month, his year, is he finding out who's with us and who's not with us. It's not like there's a list. Now, maybe you find out what media member wants to rip you, but on a daily basis, a monthly basis, you're not finding out any of this crap. It's very simple. Coaches. If you want to know who's with you, understand that when you lose, nobody's really with you. If you want to know who's really with you, win. And then everybody's really with you. It's literally that simple. As my father used to say to me, Dan, we're with you, win or tie, and we ain't so sure about the tie. So shut up with that stuff. Win some football games and don't sweat it. Seriously, do yourself a favor. Work hard, grab yourself a glass of wine, go sit in your chair and read a book instead of being on social media or worrying about who is with you and who is not with you. 
In a few minutes, we're going to really explain to you why Charlie Baker, the new head of the NCAA, uh, had the worst week. He got up in front of Congress. Now, I'm sure there are times where Charlie Baker said some really smart things. I'm sure there are times when Charlie Baker made a lot of sense. I'm sure there are times when Charlie Baker, the new head of the NCAA, was politically correct and said and did right what he's supposed to do. However, in my world, Charlie Baker dropped the ball. Charlie Baker had a chance to say, look, what was done to Riley Gaines and those swimmers is egregious. What was done to Riley Gaines and everybody, everybody around it should never happen again. What was done to Riley Gaines shouldn't have to compete against a dude. More so, shouldn't have to sit in a freaking locker room with a guy dressing in a one or a whatever they call the swimsuit, and he's sitting right there and he's got a you know what? He's got a pee pee. If you're committed, do yourself a favor. All right? Cut the pee-pee off and be a woman, and maybe, just maybe, we can get down with that. But he made it clear. He made it clear that he would not go as far as saying this just shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. He didn't do that. How is that? Look, let me explain something to you. If I were Charlie Baker and I would ask the question, hey, look, What's your take on males and female sports? I would simply say it's not going to happen under my watch. What's your take on females, males, excuse me, in female locker rooms? It's not going to happen. And I apologize to Riley Gaines. I apologize to all the swimmers that had to go through that. It should not have happened. It will not happen on my watch. I cannot change what happened in the past, but I certainly can make sure that it never happens again in the future. And then let the whole world explode. Let the world, but it's not the whole world. It's like 0.001%, but Charlie Baker couldn't do that. We're going to talk to Riley Gaines next. I mean, think about, just think about this. Even if you don't care about this issue, even if you're tired of this issue, just think about this. You got a daughter, you got a wife, you got a sister, whatever, that is going to go and compete in something, whatever, at the local high school 5K. And she's in the crap and she's putting on her, you know, running stuff. And next thing you know, Joey Bag of Donuts plops down, takes off all his clothes, puts his running stuff on with his wang hanging out, saying he's a chick. Not right. I don't give a damn. It's not right. And it's easy to say it's simply not right. He should apologize. He should make sure it never happens again. Actually, he doesn't even have to apologize. What his doing? But I guess on behalf, he should apologize and just say it's simply not going to happen again. Be right back from Friday Gaines. Get her take on We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Ladies and gentlemen, you know her, you love her, and it's really silly that she had to put her dentistry career on hold to fight for something that is so, well, obvious and logical. She is Riley Gaines, host of Gaines for Girls, advisor, independent women's voice, which she's done a remarkable work on, and director of the Riley Gaines Center. Riley, I, uh, the new head of the NCAA, I don't know. Uh, okay, so he goes in front and he's talking to Congress, including Josh Holly. I'm going to show you two clips and then we're going to have a chat. Here's the first one about Charlie Baker, the new head, not apologizing. I'd like to know, first, have you apologized uh, to those female athletes and any others similarly situated for the trauma that was inflicted on them as a result of those decisions by NCAA? Again, Senator, um, I'm not going to speak to or defend what happened in 22. That's not my question. I'm asking whether you've apologized. I understand that. I don't know. I'm assuming you're asking when you say you, you mean the NCAA. Yes. Yes. I don't know the answer to that question. I'll have to get back to okay. you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Then the next one, uh, Charlie Baker going with Josh Holly going at it. Different kind. Earlier this year, this committee heard testimony from a 12-time All-American swimmer Riley Gaines, she testified that in March of 2022 at the national championships where she was swimming, she was forced to share a locker room with a biological male, Leah Thomas. Let me just read from her testimony. In addition to being forced to give up our awards, our titles and our opportunities, the NCAA forced me and my fellow swimmers to share a locker room with Thomas. Let me be clear, we were not forewarned. We were not asked for our consent. And we, the women, did not give our consent. Is that still NCAA policy? First of all, I'm not going to defend what happened in 2022. Um, I wasn't there. I was still governor of the Commonwealth. What I will say is we have very specific rules and standards around the safety and security of all our student athletes. And anyone who hosts one of our national championships has to, know, has to accept that they know what they are and then abide by them accordingly. But, and, and does that include female athletes having to share locker rooms with biological males not being warned or consent? Do they, are they asked for their consent? I don't believe that, um, I don't believe that policy uh, would be the policy we would use today. Currently not in, Correct. In, yeah. So he doesn't believe that policy will be in place. What policy do you think will be in place? Was that a good thing or bad thing, what he said at the end? First of all, his argument, his responses, they were entirely disingenuous. Um, to tout about the safety and privacy of all athletes, no. We were utterly yeah. disregarded and, and totally violated uh, what they were protecting, of course, was the privacy and the safety of a man at the expense of us the policy that was in place at that national championships because i asked the locker rooms were unisex meaning any man could have walked into that locker room any coach any official any parent uh to be totally frank any pervert who wanted to had full access to that locker room um he knew that he knew what the policy was he just chose not to answer um same thing in regards to the apology uh i have sent president charlie baker letter after letter and emails, um, even letters that I know he had to sign off on because they were sent priority. He knows they haven't responded. Of course he knows this. Um, and so I think both answers um, were just disingenuous. I think he was well prepped. I think he knew kind of 
this would probably come his way sitting in front of um, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, I, I think he he knew this was coming and, and knew how to respond in a way that didn't make him seem like the bad guy. But guess what? He's just as responsible, even by staying silent, um, even as not taking that opportunity to apologize on behalf of the NCAA. He's just as responsible as the people who did create those guidelines. Yeah, I thought that was reprehensible. I, I, I did. I, I, I thought that was reprehensible, him, him not apologizing. And my question then goes to this. Why? Why is it so difficult, number one, to apologize? And two, look, to, to get into, I don't know how many NCAA tournaments I coached in. Let's just say 15, okay? To get into the Indiana University men's basketball uh locker room or the University of Kentucky men's basketball locker room at the NCAA tournament is damn near impossible unless you are a member of that particular team and you are credentialed as such. So I don't understand a policy that says, hey, this is a unisex place. Do you not need a credential to get in there? And what, what you're telling me, really, there is no policy because a policy dictates there are certain guidelines and restrictions to get into an area, whether it's a concert, whether it is a movie set. Hell, you can't walk into my show without somebody knowing and asking. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. It's not necessarily a policy. It's a lack thereof a policy. Um, and in regards to the competition, even what the NCAA is doing now is an abomination, really, uh, in regards to the whole trans issue, because they want all hands off deck. Uh, they don't want to be responsible or accountable at all, which is pretty telling that they know it's wrong. Right. If they wholeheartedly stood by the fact that there was nothing wrong with allowing men to compete in women's sports and there was no difference between men and women they would have a, a blanket policy like they did in 2010 that was that was um, implemented all the way through 2022. But now they're in a phase out approach, meaning they just want to leave it up to each specific sport to make the policy for their own sport, which shows you how they're spineless. It shows you how they're cowards. It shows you how we have weak leaders. And that is how we got here, because we have people like President Charlie Baker who are unwilling to stand for what they know is right, what they know to be just, what they know to be true and fair. They would rather throw their moral compass entirely out of the window um, if it means they get to look virtuous and seem as if they're doing the right thing. But in reality, they are doing just the opposite of the right thing. What what does I guess I'm going to go back to why? Why? Do they feel so scared? What is to gain from the NCAA or what is to be avoided for the NCAA by not speaking, not apologizing, not using common sense and logic? I think it goes back to money. Um, this is it goes back to I mean, that's what corporate America, the direction corporate America has gone. Um, of course, the media, um, academia, all these institutions and organizations are comp and companies are following the money. I mean, look, I mean, let's go to Bud Light, for example, right? The one we all know about. They lost $27 billion and their next commercial was a big burly man on a motorcycle drinking out of a camo can. <laughs> it's, it's all about the money. I think the NCAA is terrified of losing federal funding. I think they're terrified of lawsuits um, and therefore they respond in the way that they do, um, which is actually a terrible response because they're explicitly 
violating a federal civil rights law of Title IX. And so the grounds for a lawsuit, I would imagine, would be in my favor, in my teammates' pet favor, in my competitors' favor, and the girls who continue to be discriminated against on the basis of their sex at the hands of the NCAA, the lawsuit would actually be in our favor, um, I would think. And so I, I think that's something that certainly needs to be pursued. It needs to be looked at because we need to send the message that enough is enough and we're not putting up with it. We can fight back too. And I think it's necessary. Are you going to file a lawsuit at some point? Um, I've looked at different options. You know, do you do a class action? Do you sue individual universities? Do you sue the NCAA? Do you sue the specific state that allowed this to happen? Um, so certainly ironing out the details, because like I said, I think it's imperative. Um, I think it's being done very well on the medical side of things in regards to this gender movement. We're seeing a lot of detransitioners, Chloe Cole, uh, Luca Hine, Prisha Mosley, a slew of, of detransitioners who are coming out and suing medical institutions and winning. That's how you send the message. Um, you hit them where it hurts, right? And that's their pockets. And so I think that needs to be done to the NCAA as well. You know, uh, Riley, when, when you look at what, what is happening um, and you look at Bud Light and, and you look at now Victoria's Secret and I look at the NCAA and I think you're absolutely right, but here's what they sell. They sell, we're here for the student athlete. They sell, we're here to protect and enhance and all this crap. That's why I've never really bought any of it because when push comes to shove, this is all about cash. This is all because the NCAA is like, oh, for a lifetime in lawsuits. Like they have won a lawsuit since I was a teenager. Right. So that's what I see. I don't I don't want to hear them talking about student athlete welfare or any of that crap, because that's all that is. Back to that national championships. I will never forget. Um, of course, this it was in 2022, which was the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And I will never forget. Right. Um, we step on that pool deck. And the NCAA, the officials and stuff, hand my coaches a box. And, you know, all the team is around, what's in the box? Uh, our coaches open the box and they pass out a shirt to each of us. And on this shirt, it said 50 years of Title IX, creating opportunities for women. And the irony, the irony of them passing out that shirt at that meet, talking about equity <laughs> and how the effects are undeniable. And I agree, the benefits. Benefits to Title IX are undeniable when it is implemented the way it is supposed to be, when it is fulfilled with the intention that it was supposed to be. But that is not what we face at that national championships. And so for them to even pass out this shirt, um, it's meaningless. And it shows you that they, they just say things hoping no one will call them out. They do things hoping that, you know, they can secretly, discreetly slide it under the rug Um it's just hilarious. It would be hilarious if it didn't have real effects and real consequences. It's reality, but it's like a Babylon B headline. <laughs> it really is. Like, to, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can put all the banners up that you want, right? You could give your coach a box or you could, I don't know, I mean, celebrate it how, with a commercial, right? But it, it, I've always thought actions speak a little louder than bullshit. I mean, excuse my language, but I've always felt that way. Like your actions kind of dictate and override the bullshit you try to throw at me. Of course. <laughs> of course they do. Um, I think that's honestly, especially with what's going on in regards to the Republican Party right now, to, to broaden out the scope here, um, 
it's utterly unimpressive to see people in leadership positions not lead by example, to preach one thing and to do totally the opposite thing, um, especially in regards to female Republican Party leadership over the past month, two months or so. Um, we have people who talk about family values, but then are having affairs on their husbands or right. are in public theaters getting groped by men. Um, I think we're imploding on ourselves. I think there's a lot of blame to be placed here. Um, a little, uh, a lot of fingers to be pointed at people who preach one thing and do the other, but the NCAA is certainly a culprit. Do you think, do you think that the president, that Baker, I, I, my answer is going to be yes, okay? But I'll ask this as a neutral. Well, I guess I'm not neutral if I gave you my answer. But do you think that Charlie Baker, given that your name was brought up in this Senate hearing, do you think Charlie Baker owes you an answer to the letters you sent? I don't think just me personally. He he doesn't know an answer because I'm not looking about – it's not about me, right? I could – I'm not a – I don't look at myself as necessarily a victim here. Of course, I do think what happened was unfortunate. Um, I'm I'm turning lemons to lemonade. I don't look at myself as a victim. I think he owes the broader public answers because there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, Senator Hawley followed up yesterday with um, a list of questions, maybe 10, seven, eight or so, some questions. Um, those are the questions that he needs to answer. And again, not just for me, uh, for my little sister, who's about to turn 15 this week, who is going to be an incredible collegiate athlete. Um, that's who he owes an answer to. These young girls who have hopes and dreams and aspirations, but are being told that they're not worthy. Those are the girls he has to answer to. Um, I think there's, I'll be awaiting his responses. I'll put it that way. Do you think, like, if you become the head of the NCAA, like, I always look at it a weird way. I'm like, what happens? They get you in a room with a bunch of lawyers and they debrief you on everything you kind of not say, right? I mean, can you imagine the preparation that went into – because that was – tell me if I'm right about this, but that was like his coming out party as the head of the NCAA. It was kind of like his first – you know what I mean? Like real in the, yeah. in the fire kind of moment, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he was only um, – I think he was – um, set in in March was when he took position yeah. and Mark Emmerich stepped down. So yeah, that was really like his first time being addressed publicly this question um, about men and women's sports. Of course, the, they were there to talk about NIL, um, but this was his first time being a, a asked this question. Um, and again, I just was unimpressed. Uh, his answers were unsatisfactory. And I think it shows again, just how He's a coward, just like the rest of the leadership within the NCAA. And you're totally right about them. I mean, I, I'm picturing it in my head. Um, <laughs> I picture him like being held hostage at gunpoint in this room with a mask on telling and, and people telling him what he has to say, what he can't say, how to think, how to feel. Uh, and he's abiding by that. Right. That's I swear to God, it's like, you know, you just have these visuals like or or you just hire a guy that. I'm assuming that's how Charlie Baker has always been. At some point, do you believe, and maybe it's this year, maybe it's not, maybe it's not, do you believe that there will be a separation, that that, that what happened to you and, and your competitors will never happen again in swimming and maybe in every other sport? Do you believe that's coming as soon as this year? I don't know about this year, but I am confident we will look back in, let's say, five, ten years. I am confident 
we will look back and think, what in the world were we doing? Um, how did we allow this? What? How did this happen? How did no one stand up to it? Um, I'm certain we will look back. This this issue, it really, it has no sustainability because on my side, on our side, we have truth, we have common sense, we have logic, we have reasoning, we have science. You know what happened to following the science? And I'll tell you, which I just think this is comical talking about the NCAA here. The past president, Mark Emmert, he released a public statement following all of the Leah Thomas debacle, that national championships in 2022. In his public statement, I remember it word for word because it's so comical. He says, I unequivocally stand in my decision to allow Leah Thomas to swim with the women because it's based in evolving science. <laughs> That's what he says. In evolving uh, that science, science. has evolved. Um, but as I was just saying, we most certainly have science on our side. Um, so I, I think in a matter of time, we'll look back and laugh again. I, I think it's funny. I think we'll look back and be like, what in the world were we doing? It's like a South Park episode, which which is meant to be satirical and meant to be comical. I, I think that's what we'll see when we look back in five years. I think we already do. I think common sense people already look at it and go, like, if you look back five years and you say this is going to happen, you'd say that is an episode of South Park. That is not happening. Are you out of your mind? There's no chance that that happened. What's wrong with you? I think people already do. I do. I, I, it, it, the la the Evolving science. Well, if, well, five years ago, would you have laughed at evolving science? Yes. I laugh at it now. I'll laugh at it in five years right. later. Of course, that's the silliest notion ever. Of course, we as human beings were innovative and we continue to learn and discover, but science itself does not evolve. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous comment to even make. Um, so, yeah, I would laugh at that <laughs> any time of the day. Well, that's uh, that to people that know is kind of par for the course for Emirates. I just hope Charlie, ba I was hoping that Charlie Baker would be like, um, like a normal human being, you know what I mean? Like, but I looked yeah. at him up there, and I, I saw a, I saw a caricature of a soft, milk toast politician. That's what I saw. I saw crap up there. I saw a guy that I don't want to be around, and that if you listen to him, you got to go wash your hands because you know you just had bullshit thrown all over the top of you. Is how I look at it. I don't know. Totally. What do I know? And he has a daughter my age or around my age who played sports. Um, which is even, which makes it even more perverse, really. Um, it's the same thing we see among uh, leadership in the Democratic Party. Um, you see these politicians who have young daughters of their own saying they wouldn't care if their young daughter was forced to undress in a locker room with a man. Really? You really no. mean that? You really no. don't care if your daughter was forced to undress forcibly exploited and for forcibly exposed to male genitalia. You don't care. Uh, that's another conversation that needs to be had involving CPS because that's disgusting and you're a sellout. And so I think, I, I think that's the route Charlie Baker took on the Senate hearing. I'll give you one last night. My wife and I went, we were, she, we had to go shopping for something. So I'm like, let's go have a drink. So we went to this rooftop bar. It's a true story. I just thought about this. So you go in, and there's one entrance to the bathroom. There's no boys, no girls' bathroom. There's a unisex, you know, door you open, you go in. Then it's just a commode, right? Commode and a, and a sink, and then there's another one, another one. 
And, and well, not a sink, but you come out and it's an entire open area where you wash your hands. And my wife comes out. She goes, I got to tell you. She goes, I don't want to be sitting there after using the restroom, washing my hands next to some dude. She goes, that, that's bullshit. I don't want to do, you know. And I, and, I, and I thought of you as you were just saying this. Can you imagine having a dress there? Can you imagine getting ready for a come? The whole thing is so freaking mind-boggling. It gives me a headache. It gives me a headache. That's it. You and me both. Thanks. But Thanks. here we are oh. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at? Where are you at right now? I am in the belly of the beast in L.A. <laughs> I really? know. Why, are you going to get... Why, are you, are you going to get, uh, do you need security? Are you going to, you know, Penn State's president got all mad at you. The, the teacher said, if, if you're so upset, don't go to class. I aspire to that. That's what I want. I want that. I didn't realize I had this much power. I'm like the Wizard of Oz making teachers cancel their classes. <laughs> How powerful of me. <laughs> you're like a damn snowstorm. You're as, you're as strong as Mother Nature, lady. That's it. Thanks, Riley. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I love talking to Riley. Check out her show, Gains for Girls. I mean, are you going to boycott that too, people? Oh, my God. I'll never understand it. You guys can try to explain it to me 70,000 different ways, but I'm telling you right now, some dude walks in the bathroom with my daughter. I'm going in right behind him. Now, if that pisses you off, that pisses you off, and I can only imagine my daughter having to dress when she was in gymnastics next to some dude. Jeez, uh, I, I can't even imagine that we continue to have leadership in the NCAA that is so milquetoast, so soft, so ridiculous, so full of crap, so political, and we tolerate it. But they're going to give the coach a box that says, yay, Ra, go fight women. Yay, Ra. You're not getting any of this on ESPN, people. You're not getting any of this. This is the best show you'll ever see. I'm telling you right now, it is. I mean, I've watched these shows in the morning. You don't get nothing. You get three guys sitting around. We give you the real goods. I bring the goods, baby. Hey, speaking of that, I believe we are woken and we are doping. Let me see. Let's see what we got here. Woken dope. Oh, boy, peaceful protesters are now attacking the U.S. Embassy in Lebanon. Peaceful freaking protesters. See, man, oh, man. I was having a discussion with a family member yesterday. I did. I had a, I had a conversation, and that family member was telling me, well, you know, Donald Trump was right um, about this, but he was so right. And I'm like, all right, where was he wrong? And no one can come up with it. Everybody on the far right side said that Donald Trump was going to start World War Three, huh? Is that right? How's that working out? How's that working out? I don't think it's working out so good. We have an absolute moron in the White House, and I love this time of day because I, ladies and gentlemen, love to rip this administration. Yep, rioters are attack. Rioters are attacking the U.S. Embassy in Lebanon. All right. Uh, number two. You have to be strong and courageous to take the red pill because the side effects are critical thinking and seeing the truth. Yeah. What is this, an ad for Aaron Rodgers? What is the red pill? Somebody tell me what the red pill is. Uh <laughs> Anyway, what a day. 
Yeah, I want to take a pill that makes me think like liberals. I do. I don't know. Number three. We're driving past Earth. Lock the door. Look at these people. Look, I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah, the one on the left, she's teaching at Harvard. The one in the middle is just so condescending and stupid. And the one on the right is actually not stupid, apparently, by education. But the one on the right, and she's kind of hot, AOC. I mean, if you ask me, I'm just saying. She is. She's kind of hot until she opens her mouth. But these people are evil. These people are pure, unadulterated evil. And they must ah, just keep going, do your thing. But you, they must be ridiculed. They don't have to be stopped. I mean, look, you cannot come to the other side if you don't understand the other side. And the other side over here is complete and unadulterated evil. Riley Gaines was great. I love talking to Jeff Blum. Jeff Blum, uh, Blum is fantastic. We got to get him back on. He was terrific last night. I gave it to you. I did. I gave you the Astros tonight. I'm going to give you something else. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to take Jacksonville, and I'm going to take a point. I'll take a point. You can give me a point. I'll take the Jacksonville Jags. I'm probably going to take Jacksonville on the money line, taking on New Orleans. I don't know. I guess gamblers know a lot more than I do. But I'll take Jacksonville. I like the way the Jags are playing. I do. So I'm going to take Jacksonville tonight. I am red hot. I'm not stopping now. When you get on a heater, you got to keep going. And when you get on a cooler, you got to slow it down. So I'm on a heater right now. And I got to keep that bad boy rolling. Tomorrow's Friday. That means another house pick. We're currently 6-0. and oh. I said it. I meant it. I don't regret it. 6-0 and oh in the house pick. That's right. And I'm going to have all kind of bets for you. Have a great day, Dylan and Nick. Thank you guys very much. Ryan, Nick Part Du, Aaron, Gary, the whole crew, Katie and Haley, and of course, Beth the Booker. Love you all a long time. We will see you tomorrow. I got to go potty. It's Thursday. That's when I do my best potty. See you.